get the most of it. Thank God for it. If you have your Bible this evening, follow me to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Please, the book of Judges, the 6th chapter, I have a passage and a message on my heart this evening. Judges, the 6th chapter, have so many dear ones here in for the meeting who've come in, and as well as, of course, the church family. And we're thankful for every one of you who are in the service tonight, looking forward to what the Lord's going to say in a few moments through our preacher. I was thinking about it sitting on the pew just now. The job of the lead-off batter is just to get on base. I can't guarantee I'll hit a double or a triple, but I can promise you one thing. I ain't going down looking. I'm going to tell you that. I'm going I'm to cut as hard as I can when the ball comes. Amen. Judges chapter 6, I want you to look in verse 1 and we'll read just a couple of verses at the beginning of the chapter and then we're going to drop down a little further and I'm going to take you into the text, but let me set the context for it. Judges chapter 6 verse 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, God did what he always does in that circumstance. He responded to the desperation of his children by sending a prophet with a word of rebuke and a call to revival. And then in verse 11, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which is in Ophrah and that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now I'm going to stop reading for a moment there. I've been drawn into this familiar story in a fresh way because of this peculiar turn of phrase. Now, I know it's easy to get so familiar with the Word of God. Maybe you've read over a passage multiple times, heard it, maybe read or preached until it begins to be overly familiar to you and you don't get the gist of it anymore. I was reading through in my quiet time one day and this phrase leapt off the page, go in this thy might. That's what the angel of the Lord God incognito said to Gideon, go in this thy might. Now, it could be very accurately translated, go in this strength you have. And that surprises me because 
Gideon is not a picture of might or strength in any way that I'm used to using those words. There's nothing about him that seems to be mighty. Here he is hiding out behind a wine press in mortal fear of the Gideon, of Midianites, just trying to thresh out enough wheat to keep body and soul together. And the angel of the Lord speaks of this, thy might. It made me stop to say, what is this in reference to? When the angel says, this is thy might, Gideon, what was he speaking of? Is the angel of the Lord mocking him? Is he making fun of him? Is this sarcasm on the part of the Lord? I don't believe it is. I believe this is a serious statement about a kind of spiritual might that was found in Gideon that made him strategically useful and usable in the hand of God at this critical hour in Israel's life. I believe I have good scriptural authority for saying that this, when the angel has said this, thy might, I believe I have scriptural authority to say it refers to some very specific things, that Gideon's might is a real commodity that every one of us in this room ought to covet and seek to have with all of our heart and lives. Now let's notice them. I want to show you three things specifically out of this text that I believe this is in reference to. This, thy might. If you like details, this is called a near demonstrative pronoun. That makes you want to shout, don't you, right there? Just that alone. You ever heard of a near demonstrative? That means this right here, not that over yonder. That's the far demonstrative. This right here, this is your might. Something that was right at hand in Gideon's life. This is your might, the Lord said. What was it? First of all, Gideon had a courageous honesty about the spiritual situation. A courageous honesty about the spiritual situation. I read the earlier verses of the chapter so that you see, could see what was going on. The people of God were in a backslidden condition. Consequently, the, the Lord had allowed an enemy to run over them and to, and to run roughshod through their land and through their lives. And then here in this statement, this immediate context of my message, this interchange between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. Now, yet Gideon hadn't recognized him as the angel of the Lord. He just thinks he's having a conversation with a man. But the, the, the angel of God greets Gideon with this statement, the Lord is with thee. And Gideon's immediate response is, who are you kidding? If the Lord be with us, brother, things would be quite different. The fact is, we're under the judgment of God. That's what's going on here. God has given us to judgment. And the angel responds with these intriguing words, Gideon, this is thy might. Go in this thy might, which indicates to me, at least in part, that the might of Gideon lay in the fact that he was unwilling to engage in self-deception and play religious mind games about what was going on. Gideon was a believer who refused to play around with the truth. He was not looking through rose-colored glasses and pretending that everything was okay when obviously everything was in a mess. His strength was his brutal honesty about the spiritual situation at hand. He knew, and he mentions it in this text, he said, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But the Lord, he said, I've heard what the fathers told us. I know by record what God has done in the past. I know what it looks like when the power and glory of God's on his people. And this ain't it. I'm telling you, folk, we need some men and women in this generation with that kind of spiritual might. The guts and the courage to look the situation dead in the eye and say we're a people desperately in need of revival. This is not what it looks like to have the glory of God on us. 
if the Lord be with us. I'm sure if he, if he were alive today, he would have had one of those little Bible promise card dispensers, you know, on his coffee table. He could quote from memory all of the great promises. You are more than conquerors through him that love. He, he, greater is he that's in us. He could have quoted all the promises, and they're true. But he knew one thing. Something was terribly wrong with the situation at hand. God was not free to move in power in his life and in his nation's life at that time. Something was grieving the Lord and keeping him from bringing into fruition all of those great and precious promises. He looked around him at the circumstances and came to the spiritually sane conclusion, whatever's going on, brother, this is not what it means to live in victory. This is not the manifest presence and power of God. Something is dreadfully missing, and what's missing is the hand of God's anointing on us. The enemy's having his way. The angel of the Lord said, Gideon, this is your might. This is what you've got going for you, son, that others around you do not have. You dare to be honest. You refuse to deceive yourself and play games with religious platitudes. You demand reality and you will be satisfied with nothing less. And I'll tell you, I'd love to see a renaissance of believers in this day who demand spiritual reality and refuse to be content with anything less, who just will not play act and pretend everything's okay. I can't help contrasting this might of Gideon in our text with the wimpiness of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3. At a, at a time, at a point when the Laodicean church was so displeasing to Jesus that he felt nauseated, he spoke of vomiting them out of his mouth. At that very time, they were congratulating themselves on how well they were doing. We are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now, the one thing you'd have to say, I mean, if you want to tally up something positive for the Laodicean church, the one thing you would have to say is they were a positive, upbeat bunch of Christians. Brother, they always saw the glass half full. I mean, they looked at themselves and they said, well, we just don't want to be a downer. So we'll just confess everything's great. Run into them down at Walmart and say, how, how, how's everything going down at y'all's church here at Laodicea? Oh, oh, brother, everything's wonderful. Couldn't be better. Why, fact of the matter, I can't think of a thing that we need at our church. We don't need a thing. But was that the truth? Ask Jesus how things were going on at the church at Laodicea. You get a different report. Jesus said, wretched, blind, miserable, naked. Not quite so positive, not quite so upbeat when you hear what the Lord had to say about the spiritual situation. You see, the problem with the Laodiceans' positive confession is that they were wrong. It wasn't true that they didn't need a thing. They were greatly in need of Holy Ghost revival. What kept them from having it? Their unwillingness to face the hard reality and be honest with themselves. That's why they couldn't have revival. That's why we're not having revival in America today. There's something doubly pathetic about being pathetic and yet being proud at the same time. How shocking it is to look across the landscape of American religion. How shocking to see the worldliness and the compromise and the unholiness and the lack of genuine God-anointed ministry and yet find on every front people congratulating ourselves on how well we're doing as a church in our day. What made Gideon mighty was that he had enough gumption to know the difference between the power of God on display and not. 
he was willing to admit. And he was right, by the way. Gideon's opinion was right. That's why I read the early verses of the chapter. Gideon saw what was really going on. He realized what this meant for the enemy to be having such authority in Israel. He realized this was judgment from the hand of the Lord. Now, I'll tell you today, it's costly to admit the truth. It costs something. When the truth of the generation that we're living in is judgment and the withdrawal of the mighty presence and power of God, most believers don't have the strength for it. They just don't have the strength. And the reason is that most Christians and most churches will not have Holy Ghost revival until we're willing to admit how desperately we need Holy Ghost revival. Until we're willing to come to the frank confession, something is terribly wrong in my own life, in my family, in my congregation, we've got to see God pour out his glory again. The majority of the church would rather pretend and deceive ourselves about the seriousness of the hour, substituting religious words and activities for spiritual reality. Because the only alternative to that is utter brokenness over sin total despair of self and flesh as the people of God repent our way to revival. And who wants to do that? Repent our way to revival. It's much easier all around to just close our eyes, sing ourselves a religious lullaby, and fool our hearts about the fact that the glory of God has been sent away and just go through the motions of religion. Ron and Patricia Owens wrote that wonderful song, When the Glory's Gone. It was a part of the material that Henry Blackaby used in the Fresh Encounter Bible study. Some of you may have done that, not experiencing God, but the second one, Fresh Encounter. Ron and Patricia Owens wrote the music for that study, and one of the songs was, When the Glory's Gone, and here's the question they ask in the chorus, When the Glory's Gone, will no one ask, Where is the Lord? Now, that's what I listen for as I travel this country. Where are the people in America, American Christians, who are saying, where's God anymore? Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Where's the God who moved in power and might in days gone by? Gideon's might lay in the fact that he was one person, at least, who was willing to ask that very question. When the angel said, the Lord is with thee, Gideon said, if the Lord was with us, things would be quite different. Gideon had a might that might involved a courageous honesty about the spiritual situation. Secondly, Gideon's might involved a total lack of confidence in himself. Notice verse 14 and 15. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Now, Manasseh was a half-tribe inside the land of Canaan. You may recall that. Half the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the other side, Jordan. So already this is a half-tribe. And he said, now in this half-tribe, my father's house is poor. And in my father's poor house, I'm the least. That's, that's wimp raised to the third power. We're a wimpy tribe, we're a wimpy family, and I'm the wimp of the family. Now, I want you to hear me tonight. Gideon, if he were alive in our religious day, someone would want to get him on an antidepressant immediately. I mean, obviously, this is a negative, melancholy, defeatist personality. 
somebody at least would pull him aside and say, look, son, chin up. You need to get a better sense of self-esteem. You need to have a better attitude. But the truth of the matter is this. The child of God is never stronger in the Lord than when we're deeply, even painfully aware of how weak we are in ourselves. Gideon's might lay in the fact that he had no confidence in himself. He knew he couldn't do the job given to him by the Lord. He realized how unable, how unfit, how ill-equipped he was when the disguised angel of God greeted Gideon with the title, Hail thou mighty man of valor. I would imagine he looked over his shoulder to see who's standing behind him because the one thing he knew, it couldn't be him being addressed like that. Man of valor. And then in this text, the statement, go in this thy might. And, and Gideon didn't speak up and say, well, it's about time, bless God. Somebody recognized my potential. I knew I was destined for great things. No, Gideon felt himself unfit, unqualified for doing anything of spiritual value for the cause of God or the saving of Israel. And it was his lack of confidence in self that qualified Gideon as mighty and usable in the hand of the Lord because it meant Gideon knew he's going to have to rely exclusively on the power of God to get the job done. He could not afford to lean on himself. So much harm is done in Christian ministry and in church activities today because of the prominence of flesh and the strut and pride of man. Anytime we attempt to worship or serve God in our flesh and in our own strength, everything is soiled and robbed of the true glory of God. The self-sins are the most dangerous of all because of their subtlety and their seeming smallness, self-love, self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-exaltation, self-effort at living the Christian life. Nothing's more dangerous. How weak and ineffective we are when we're full of self, cocky and vain, convinced we can handle things on our own, we can get the job done for Jesus in our own power, our own ingenuity. How, how weak, but how mighty we become in the Lord when we come to confess that left to ourselves, the only thing we can do is fail. We're doomed to fruitlessness and defeat. Gideon was not just a melancholy personality. He was not a pessimist, a loser who needed a pep talk or a pet pill. I remember I was thinking about Brother Ron Dunn. Some of us knew and loved Brother Ron, his wit, his wit, his dry sense of humor. I remember one night he said, I understand why people are on drugs. If it weren't for tranquilizers, I'd probably be on drugs myself. Gideon was a man, wasn't a man who just needed a little pep, a little pep talk or a pep pill. He was honestly aware that he did not have the resources. He did not have the wisdom or the capacity to save anyone from anything, much less to lead God's people to revival and victory over the enemy. And that conviction, that confession of his personal powerlessness just proved him to be a sane man spiritually because that's the truth about him. It's the truth about me. It's a truth about you, whether you want to admit it or not. And it was that lack of confidence in self that made Gideon mighty in the Lord. And then, thirdly, this. Gideon's might involved his courageous honesty about the spiritual situation. It, in, it involved his absolute lack of confidence in himself. And it involved, thirdly, his willingness to step out in, be, in obedience in spite of fear. In verse 16 and following, and I won't read very far, but notice verse 16. And the, angel, and the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and 
Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And verse 17, he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. And I'm not going to read beyond that. You can do it on your own time later if you'd like to. You read on through chapter 6 and beyond, and you'll find that Gideon constantly needed reaffirmation. The famous passage, I heard about it a lot when I was a young man because my youth minister, when I was a teenager, he really believed in using this as a way of discerning the will of God, putting out a fleece before the Lord. You ever heard that term? I put a fleece before the Lord. Gideon's the guy who did that, you know. After he asked for a sign and the Lord gave him one, fire fell on the altar. That's a pretty good sign. You say, well, that ought to have done it for him, right? He ought to be sure now. No, a little later he said, now, Lord, I'm going to put this piece of wool out, this fleece, and what I'd like for you to do, Lord, to show that you're really, really the one leading me in this, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And the Lord did that, and he came back the next day and said, one more time, Lord, let's reverse that, just in case that was coincidence. Now, one of the things that attracts me to Gideon is his timidity, his fearfulness. It may surprise you for me to say that. We don't like to picture our heroes like that. We want to picture our spiritual heroes as bold and audacious and fearless. But in contrast to the prototype of the dashing hero charging into battle with never a backward glance, here is Gideon, scared to the bone, constantly needing reassurance from the Lord. The first thing God told him to do was to tear down an altar to Baal that was at his father's house. And the Bible says Gideon went and did it, but he did it in the darkness of night because he didn't want anybody to see him. He's scared what might happen to him. I like that about this. That's real, folks. That's just real. Here's a man who's just real. He was not bold and audacious. He was terrified, but he did what God told him to do. Trembling step by trembling step, and that was his might. His might was his willingness just to press on. In spite of everything in his flesh saying, turn back, he just pressed on. The things that made God mighty in the long run was that in spite of his persistent fears and his manifold intimidations, step by step he trusted and obeyed God. I love Psalm 56.3, which says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It does not say I'll never be afraid. It says when I am afraid, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust God. Gideon's might, as odd as it may seem, on the surface of the statement and on the surface of this text, as odd as it seems, Gideon did have a might. It was very different from what you and I might picture as might or strength. It was a might, however, that every one of the saints of God can have in our own. This is not something out of reach. This is not out of reach of me. Do, do you have any ambition to have God say to you, Hail, mighty man of valor. Hail, mighty woman of valor. Does that have any appeal to you? To be a, a believer of usefulness in the kingdom agenda, is that an attractive possibility that God might view you like that? Then I would urge you to take Gideon's example to heart and seek to line your life up with his. The testimony of a believer who made a difference for eternity, who had a strange kind of strength, the courage to be really honest about the spiritual situation at hand. A total lack of trust in himself and his own ability, but a willingness to press through his fear and through the intimidation of the enemy and by faith obey God. Not a one of us in this room tonight can't have that might. Let's pray. Father, thank you this evening for the privilege of opening a Bible and having an opportunity to study it for a moment. I pray now for my preacher who's coming in a moment. 